Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening. That always helps us out. And if you're willing, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate that and all you can do. Uh, this is Medium Cool, a movie podcast, and I am ready to talk about some movies, y'all. Uh, I have Joe on again. Joe's going to be uh, coming on here quite a bit more, it sounds like, which is pretty exciting. You know, we used to do almost every show together, um, and then our schedules just didn't seem to align, uh, to be honest. And now our schedules are aligning more, so I'll have Joe on here a bit more. And today we're going to talk about a few, uh, well, we're going to talk about one 2022 movie and then another movie that when you look online, it says 2022, but that's only because it was in the festival circuit. It's actually coming out this Friday. Uh, the first film is uh, one that came out uh, a few weeks ago called White Noise. It's Noah Baumbach's new film uh, starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. Uh, and also, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, when when you finish saving the world, which is uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's new film. Well, his his directorial debut. He also wrote the film. Uh, it takes place in Bloomington, Indiana, which is really cool. We'll talk a little bit more about that later when Joe and I talk. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about these just to give you guys a heads up. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the 2022 films that are, you know, big Oscar uh, buzz movies, Tar and uh, The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. And then uh, the following week, we're going to be doing our top 10 of 2022. Yes, I understand that it's a month into 2023, uh, but it gives us a chance to catch up with some of those movies that we didn't get a chance to during the big award cram. OK, so. Uh, it's pretty fun. It, very excited. Next week is going to be really good. I am so excited to see The Whale. That was one of my number, my top five most anticipated films of the year. And uh, unfortunately, where I live, it's just now getting into the theaters. So um, it's I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, I'm going to go see that. And we're going to talk about that uh, and plenty more, I'm sure. So, uh, hey, sit back, relax, enjoy. Uh, Joe and I are going to talk about first white noise white noise from 2022 written and directed by noah baumbach based on a book uh white noise uh by don delillo uh the cast is adam driver greta gerwig and don Cheadle, uh, among others uh, andre 3000 makes an appearance joe yeah that was fun um for all you outcast fans um hey yano uh, release date December thirtieth, twenty twenty two. Not not too long ago, only a couple weeks or so ago. Uh, this came out. Um, I, I normally with newer movies, I wouldn't put budget and box office because it's really not fair whenever they're still out. Um, but I just wanted to say this because it made me laugh. It cost a hundred million dollars to make. Box office thirty four thousand eight hundred and eighteen dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a Netflix production. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was in on Netflix. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to have a huge uh, box office, I don't think. I know it was, like, very, very limited theater mm-hmm. uh, stuff. So it's a Netflix movie, guys. All right, chill out. Yeah. Uh, also, but uh, it, was, it was the right $30,000. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in... Uh... 
1984, Jack Gladney is a professor of Hitler studies, a field that he founded uh, at the College on the Hill in Ohio. Despite his specialism, uh, he speaks no German and is secretly taking basic lessons to prepare for a speech he is due to give at a conference. Uh, Jack is married to Babette, played by Gerwig, uh, his fourth wife, and together they raise a blended family with four children, Henrik and Steffi from two of Jack's previous marriages, Denise from Babette's previous marriage, and Wilder, a child they conceived together. Denise spies on Babette uh, and finds her secret prescription stash of Dilar, a mysterious drug not in the usual records. Uh, Jack experiences a dream about a mysterious man trying to kill him. Jack's colleague, Murray Siskin, is a professor of American culture. He wishes to develop a similar niche field, Elvis studies. Of course, Murray played by Don Cheadle. Uh, and uh, he convinces Jack to help him, all the while the family is torn asunder by a chemical spill from a rail car that releases an, quote, airborne toxic event. Uh, forcing Jack to confront his bigger fear, his own mortality, Joe. Now, uh, this movie has been panned by critics, Joe, uh, though I don't think anyone has praised it enthusiastically. Uh But what side of the fence do you land on? The side of the yays or the side of the nays? Uh, I'm going to pan the shit out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I, you know, listen, this, here's some, here's some background. Um, Noah Baumbach, I, we have a, have a somewhat complicated relationship, I guess. Um, I, you know, he co-wrote Fantastic Mr. Fox, and that's one of my favorite movies. Um, but most of this, I mean, you know, I enjoyed Margot at the wedding. Most of the stuff I've seen of his, I've been like various shades of okay with. Um, but this one, just for whatever reason, just struck me as overly cutesy and trying very hard to be quirky and weird and you know, have that Wes Anderson or, or Bombbox kind of style. And almost nothing really landed for me. There were a couple of moments that I kind of chuckled at, but, you know, I mean, and obviously I love Don Cheadle. I love Greta Gerwig. Um, I'm a fan of Adam Driver for the most part. And I don't know, just nothing here really, I rolled my eyes at just about everything here. And I, I can't really say why, because it seems like the kind of movie I would like but it just everything just rang dull and hollow and look how look how cool and weird and quirky I am and it, it just none of it landed at all for me so um yeah I'm I'm I'll pan it I'm panning it also <laughs> you're on the nays it sounds on the nays. I I am um I am reluctantly on the yays but let me tell you why all right because um I I want to first start off by saying uh white noise is not a great film <laughs> Okay. Uh, white noise is um quite frankly a narrative mess um a lot of the writing is a mess this is a book uh the delilo book uh that uh, many people have said is an unfilmable book um and you know bombach tries to do it and there's just a lot going on and it's very easy to get confused about what the fuck's going on it's very easy to not know what the hell people are talking about um, you know, because they talk in uh, circles mm-hmm. a lot like, you know, there's like this kind of rotational cyclical nature to the family's conversation uh, where like three different things are being discussed at once almost. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, you know, one person's talking about this giant uh, ominous black cloud. Another person's talking about like a medication and another person wants dinner. 
And somehow they're all like responding to each other in this weird kind of rotational way. And you know what, man? I laughed so much during this movie, though. And this is like the reason it connected for me. Because for as much as we could sit here and dog this movie, I like watch it and I'm like, I totally get why this movie is panned. Like, there's just not a lot here for people. And but I, if I'm honest with myself, like there's a scene where they are um, f- the family is uh, ordered to flee the house by the local government because yeah. of this big rig spill. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the a train is ran into by a semi. The semi has flint like uh, like oil or something in it, whatever it is that uh, is flammable. And mm-hmm. then, of course, once the uh, it explodes hitting this train. Um, all the deadly chemicals in this train are then put into the atmosphere. So it is a huge mass evacuation. And uh, as they're in the car waiting in a line on the highway trying to get somewhere, um, uh, Greta Gerwig takes one of these pills, that I, the aforementioned pills that I talked yeah. about. She tries to do it slyly, and uh, Adam Driver's Jack sees this. And he asks her something like, like, what'd you just do? You know, because he's confronted about the pills and and uh, and uh, Babette, uh, you know, lies about it. And she's like, uh, nothing, I nothing. He's like, I just saw you put some in your mouth. And uh, she's like, oh, it was a lifesaver. And he goes, no, but you just swallowed it. And she goes, no, that was just spit. I didn't know what anything. I didn't know what to do with it or something. And then he goes, he goes, no, what what did you put in your mouth? And she's like, a lifesaver. And he goes, you place a lifesaver in your mouth and you swallow it without an interval of sucking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I like, I like legitimately laughed out loud, like so hard about some of these stupid fucking lines. Yeah. And I don't, I, I can't, I can't tell you why I find this movie. Um, so amusing. And that's how I would put it. It's like, I could sit here and tear this movie apart, Mm -hmm. but like, I would be lying if I said it was not just endlessly amusing to me. Yeah. I found the things that maybe exasperated you um, or, or inspired eye rolls. I just found them amusing. And and what I likened it to when I was texting someone else about it is uh, there are a lot of like Woody Allen movies. I don't mean to compare this to Woody Allen movies, but uh, there are Woody Allen movies in the 90s, for example, that are just not very good. Mm-hmm. A lot of them that are not very good. But that does not change the fact that I find them endlessly amusing. Sure. You get what I mean? Like, um, like deconstructing Harry, I don't think is a great movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I find it endlessly fascinating. Manhattan murder mystery, not really a good movie, man. I'll, I'd be lying if I said I just did not have a great time watching it though, even though it's just kind of bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Bad's a strong word, but my point, you get my point. And so I have like a weird challenging relationship with this after finishing it where uh, I'm kind of I'm it's like part of me's on board and and part of me's not and I find it interesting that Bombach I don't I haven't we we you and I both just I think watched this like mm-hmm. yesterday or so or like you know just like this weekend days, yeah. um so I didn't have uh, enough time to look this up but it is a pretty timely story though I mean we're talking about airborne fear right yes. uh we just got you know through kind of shutdowns and things you know, knock on wood that we don't have to go back to that through the COVID pandemic. I know we're still technically kind of in it, but it does admittedly feel like we're on the back end, hopefully, um, and that we're kind of finding a new normal, right? And yeah. so when does this movie come out? You know, when we find a new normal, it's about these people 
challenging their ideas of mortality and this existential dread. And, um, you know, <laughs> this like huge airborne event happens. Yes. Um, you know, it seems pretty timely. Did you, did you pick anything, uh, out with that? I'm not saying it's anything profound, yeah, but I'm no, just saying, no. did, did you pick any, any little things like that out in this movie or uh, was it just kind of a bore? Uh, no, I certainly, I certainly saw those parallels and you know, that it makes sense. I, I did enjoy like the there. I mean, and this is the thing, if, if this movie had been, a, let's just say a series of short films we just break this up into little short films that you know that are, are in an individual scene that are 10 or 15 minutes long each i probably would have liked most of them there there agree. was there's fun to have and the the silliness of it is you know is is amusing like you said at times um the the thing that i i liked the the fun little bits with with uh jack with you know the the Hitler studies, and you know he he says Nazism is at one point like, you know like he's he's into Nazism, and it's like you know there's obviously like weird things there, and I'm like what 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 is going on? Yeah. And nobody nobody really questions it. Like you said, their their style of dialogue where it's like they've it's like there's a piece of the English language that they don't know how to use, and so they continue or or maybe a piece of logic they don't know how to use. So when they have to use that they are just not able to and they have to like as you said revert back and speak in this like circular way and it's it's just it's odd and and it's and at times it's fun there's there there's the scene you know you were referencing that scene with the where the the um what did you say the airborne event and then it's yeah. as the and it's kind of like in real time there there's the the scene where uh basically jack and babette are trying to convince their kids that this is not something to be worried about and they're eating dinner and there's like every moment something else happens and it, it finally there's a like literally a cop driving down the street saying evacuate evacuate yeah and they're kind of just sitting there like everything is fine this is all yeah. no we don't need you know and it, it's that that kind of stuff is funny and interesting sometimes but just as the movie dragged on it there was so much of it that it didn't it it just kind of, it kind of got tiresome and yeah. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't suffer it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't sanction its buffoonery any longer. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah this is, this is one of those interesting movies too, where everything you're yeah. saying, regardless of whether I had the same experience, I totally get. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, well, you, the scene you were talking about, so that's the moment I realized uh -huh. the rhythm of the dialogue, actually, which is very yeah. early on. And they're, they're trying to figure out, uh, like what they should do. Like you said, Babette and Jack are trying to convince the kids that everything's okay, but Henrik, the oldest, is yeah. the one who's in the know. He knows everything yes. about this toxic airborne event. Right. So uh, so uh, every time they're like, you know, one of the kids is like, is it going to get to us? And Jack's like, no, the wind blows east. We're north. We're fine. You know, and he's just like explaining it. And then Henrik will come in and say like, um, you know, uh, it causes one of the side effects is it causes you to be itchy. Yeah, you know, or or your palms to sweat. That's what it is. And then one of the, the like one of his sister's palms are sweating, yeah. and then she's panicking. And then he comes back in like two minutes later, and he's like, "Now it's not palm sweating; it's nausea." You know, <laughs> and then right. but then it turns this kind of circle. Like one kid's afraid that they have it. This other kid's learning about it. The yeah. like Jack is trying to convince him it's not a big deal. Babette's starting to be convinced otherwise. Like mm -hmm. there, there's just all of this going on, and I love the complexity of it, but. I think what you might be pinpointing, correct me where I'm wrong, is that the film doesn't really uh, pay off. Like, there's no purpose for any of this 
other than just being kind of funny. Like all of these scenes, there's that. I think it's a great scene, but there's that scene with, uh, with Jack and uh, Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Driver and Cheadle. Uh, when uh, Cheadle has that uh, Elvis yes. talk to do in front yes. of students in that rainbow room, basically. That was a very and good scene. Yeah, that was great, right? Yeah, but it's like, I don't feel like it adds that much to the overall movie, really. Right. To be honest, right? Yeah. But as a short, like you said, mm-hmm. I would like love that scene because mm-hmm. it's actually great. Because like basically, what Adam Driver's uh, character is doing, what Jack's doing is. Uh, drawing parallels between Elvis and Hitler, yes. Which, <laughs> yes. which I find hilarious. I mean, he's yeah. not calling Elvis Hitler, but he's saying like the mass crowds of people. Yeah. He's basically saying a lot of people like this is how you're drawn into Nazism yeah. in the same way that all of these people were drawn into essentially the cult of Elvis. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is how Hitler drew people. And they it, what a fascinating scene to me. I thought that was really fun yeah. um, and great. Um, and th- there are a few other scenes. But then you get into that weird stuff toward the end that I don't really want to ruin. I want to give people a chance yeah. to see it where um, Jack, let's just say Jack is going to visit. Um, a former, shall we say, friend of Babette's. Right. Um, and he is inquiring about some Dilar, the the uh, mysterious medication. Yes. Um, that whole scene, though I actually enjoyed it, I liked the scene, mm-hmm. felt completely out of place with the rest of it. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. It was that was so dark like that and. And the rest of the movie wasn't that dark of. I mean, it's. I mean, you could call this. This is a comedy, I think. Um, and you could ca- you could certainly call it a comedy, but it, it wasn't really a dark comedy until this point. There are there were sort of dark elements maybe here and there, like making it, jokes about Nazism and Hitler. But yeah, aside yes, from that, yes, you're right. <laughs> overall, like the the tone of it was was a little lighter. Um, it had. Okay, and I'm going to say this, and I, I'm going to, I want to say it in as specific a way as I can. Speaking of that, like it, it almost had sort of a, a Doctor Strange love kind of a vibe in a sense, just in the just in the way that they talked and went about things. Maybe not the dialogue, but like just in, in a tonal way. And I think that that is, you know, it, it wasn't that dark. I don't know, is Doctor Strange love dark? There's this like a slapsticky silliness to it. And and then later on it it just turns into this thing about like more murder, you know, like like more directly dark, I should say. Not, you know, not and and, and there these are very different movies. Don't don't take this as a, a but just think just like pull a, a random scene of Doctor Strange Love out and and just like watch a random scene and the way that they're they're fast talking each other and and there's like these weird sort of like arguments that don't make sense and and people speaking very in an, in a very authoritative way about things that they're really not that much of an authority about <laughs> you know like in in that way that's, I guess that's about as specific a way as I can uh, compare those two movies I don't know why I even want to compare them um, I guess just that Nazi that that Nazi element the kind of the larger political things that are like yeah kind of bouncing back and forth, you know, and from the background to the foreground, like they're, they're shooting back and forth, like here they are in the foreground and now they're back in the background. And then they're talking about something completely different. And um, just, it's just, it's just very fast kind of conversations like that, that are seemingly, are seemingly not connected, but maybe are, but I just kind of felt like in this movie, they're just kind of not sometimes. (laughs) It's just kind of like, as you said, it's like, here, we're going to compare Hitler and Elvis. 
and now we're talking about COVID in a you know metaphorical sort of way, and now we're in a relationship drama, uh, but you know with comedy certainly as the you know yeah. The, the, I, I can see how it would work in a book too. You know, having more time to develop these as kind of like uh, literal chapters. You know, um, being able to yes, dedicate yes. chapters to these specific beats and develop them, and maybe mm-hmm. in a two-hour and what is it, fifteen minutes or two and a half hours or whatever it is. Um, you know, we <laughs> yeah. we we just don't get it. You know, um, I, I love the kind of excuse me, the kind of satire. Yeah. Of. Like uh, with the toxic event, toxic airborne event, to be more specific, Uh Uh, airborne toxic event. I have it written down here there. (laughs) Uh, That is the exact phrasing. And uh, like, I love whenever they leave as they're driving through town, they're also now hearing either radio or, or people driving or whatever the thing is they're hearing about, like, you need to stay in your homes. Yeah. Now they're out. Like right. they're out having followed the government's, you know, uh, uh, demands basically, you know, right. and then now it's wrong. So then now they have to like pull over into this kind of safe place. And, mm-hmm. um, and of course all of that, they run out of gas and, you know, it's, it's a whole gag. Right. But yeah. you know, there was, so this obviously is a, um, more of a kind of pastiche of 1980s isms. You know, it doesn't really feel like an authentic 80s movie. But, dude, I I have to say this, though. There are some things that directly remind me of straight up how 80s movies would do it. And I think that's part of the disconnect, to be honest, where it like I feel like if a lot of 80s movies as is were made now, we'd hate them. But we love them because of some level of nostalgia or or the performers that are in it or whatever. There's a scene where uh, the family in white noise are are driving uh, and they're trying to uh, escape the uh, what do you call the um, like whatever the safe haven is that the clinic or whatever yeah. uh, the little hot the um, little hostel thing that was built to keep people safe um, and uh, everyone it, it's like like zombies are attacking them or something like there are cars driving everywhere and Jack's just trying his best to get to the car with his family. Yeah. But once they get in the car, instead of driving the direction everyone else is going, they follow this kind of like redneck Jeep or whatever, because it says something about like, you won't take my guns. It's not that exactly, but it's like that sort of a thing. Very second amendment thing. And they're like, Jack goes, Oh yeah. These guys look like they know where they're going (laughs) as like survivalists. But whenever they follow them, they're in this like, you know, they're in a uh, a Volkswagen mm-hmm. like I call them Griswolds because of uh, yeah. the vacation movies. But anyways, they're in like a, a, a Volkswagen you know? yeah. and they're like driving down and they go airborne at one point hitting this this thing. And the reaction, I'm like, I could name 1580s yeah. comedies that do this exact thing. And it looks exactly like this. Right. But because it feels so much mm-hmm. like an homage to it, yeah, and not so much like it fits the movie. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. That like I feel like it's interesting that we are so forgiving of so many '80s movies, and I found it kind of amusing to watch. Like it's it's almost like self indulgent in a way. Like I'm watching Baumbach like work through these things he loves and he's like adding them in this movie you know <laughs> like yeah we have to do an airborne family screaming scene like that has to happen right um i actually hated the river sequence yeah yeah you know what yeah, i'm talking can... about yeah i thought absolutely. that was so dumb yeah you know but 
right, <laughs> which yeah, follows yeah. that, which is I say that vaguely, but um, I hated it because like that seemed so outlandish to me. Like yeah. that seemed sillier than the rest. Yeah. Um, but that's I, I bring that up just to say that the movie is obviously very disjointed. We've already kind of covered that. Yeah. Uh, it kind of goes all over the place. Mm-hmm. There really seems to be no cohesive nature to it. The beginning feels very disjointed from the end, mm-hmm. though one could argue the beginning is to set up the airborne because that's like a MacGuffin, essentially, right? The airborne toxin. It really becomes something about uh, Babette and Jack's relationship. And mm-hmm. everything prior to it is developing that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that way, it's good. And and I'm going to ask you about this, Joe. Um, how, how did you feel about once we started really getting into the kind of Jack and Babette half of the movie, essentially? Yeah. Um, how did you feel about, as you put it, kind of almost like this relational dramedy? Or, yeah. you know, like yeah. uh, relationship dramedy, if you will. Um, how did you feel about that? Yeah. Like once we got that shift? Yeah, I I think it, uh, you know, again, if, if it uh, taken on its own merits, it's not a bad arc. It, it just, again, doesn't feel like it fits with everything else that we've had. And I, I and I, I didn't dislike it. I don't know. But at that point, I was kind of just like, done checked out yeah yeah i was done and i was like i just don't care i don't care and and it was they they did some some things that had nice sort of real beats to it and and again we we want to be a little vague about it because you know we don't want to spoil this this is you know a very this is a a very still a very new release and you know uh, i think this you know something that we don't want to spoil but there's there's one moment in particular where let's just say it's an emotional moment between the two of them and there's a confession is that what yeah, you're talking yeah, about yeah, I, yeah that's where i wanted to go yeah yeah and there there's some of that is effective but also that's a pretty serious scene in in a movie that is so not serious for the rest of the runtime i mean it's it's like oh brother where art thou in some sense like it's like you know the just the continual silliness of that movie continually silly throughout this movie um, in in that kind of uh, um, I I don't know I don't know that I'm trying to, I'm at a loss for the word now but in in that kind of just earnest sort of way I guess where you know these are just like this is how these people talk this is how these people behave and it's it's just very strange in that way um, and then it, it turns into sort of a, there's just a few moments where it's just very weepy and and serious and like confronting a relationship and um, you know confronting a flawed and and broken relationship and it, it's it's almost just too jarring to me and and again i was like you know if this if that had been if the if the movie had grown out of that scene and you know and you know you have a beginning middle and end focused on that particular aspect i would have probably enjoyed it Um, but also if you had had one that was kind of predicated on any of those other big arcs i probably would have also enjoyed it to some degree Uh, I, i agree with you about the river scene that it was like it was just it was just dragging on too long like it, it could have if they had if they like hit the water and then gotten out of the water i would have been like cool but yeah, yeah that whole thing just dragged and dragged and dragged i just have to say this and i i hate to be the guy that nitpicks this stupid fucking detail because typically uh-huh. in movies i don't care as long as it serves a narrative purpose right. the problem is i don't think this did and that makes me upset <laughs> i know nothing about cars really okay so i'm not gonna sit here and act like i do uh-huh. that goddamn car start do you know what i'm saying 
when when a car is underwater, I don't think it's starting. I don't think it's generally. Starts. Yeah, like uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, I listen. My my first there was a rumor that my first car had been underwater, and it didn't it didn't become my first car until the engine was replaced, like completely yeah. replaced. So, I I don't that doesn't that doesn't ring true. But you also like you never know. I yeah. guess. Um, hey, I mean, we're, we're talking about an absurdist comedy, uh, and we're talking yeah. about logic. All right, <laughs> yeah. like the whole thing is relatively illogical. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. That, I don't know that that river scene sucked. I I want to talk about this scene. You're talking about this confession scene. Uh huh. Um. Between Babette and Jack, and I love. So uh, it's no surprise that I love at least the movies of Woody Allen. Uh, a lot of them. Um, and I love a lot of uh, Noah Baumbach's past stuff um, and uh, existentialism, uh, love, death, God. Mm-hmm. All of these things are a a, a part of those things generally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when it when this movie kind of turns a bit more existential and more about those things, love and death and God and yeah, whatever. On again. It, it's like they were trying to make this movie for me and it didn't really work, but like the things that are for me did yes. you know? <laughs> like, it doesn't really work for the film, but it just works for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and uh, <clears throat> I thought that dude, I thought that that scene was awesome mm-hmm. that because here, let me tell you why the person confessing the other person shows a certain level of conflict with that person where there's like a hope of forgiveness there, but also an unwillingness to kind of deal with that. Um, and I, I really found the dynamic, the way that, um, that the forgiving party, I should say, again, just trying to be intentionally and unnecessarily um, vague. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just feel like that the way that that party deals with the confession. Yes. Uh, was actually like really thoughtful and interesting mm-hmm. um, and just kind of the way things played out from that point again by that point it feels like a different movie to me yes um, and yes. I fully agree again listeners the, the white noise is a mess okay <laughs> like yeah. uh, if you go to Joe and I's letterbox we're gonna have different ratings but it's not because I think we even disagree <laughs> I think yeah. it's more it just you know certain things kind of tickle my fancies and don't yeah. yours right I think that's kind of where it is but mm-hmm. um but yeah with uh with white noise here um it's it's a bit all over the place and like you said there are these little stints of or these little scenes that if you look at them almost as like independent vignettes, they're just so great. Um, and uh, put together, they're not. Um, do you need to go get your daughter? Um, yes, I do. I was going to say, like, if we if we wanted to do like three minutes and then we could we, we could be done with this, if that if that seems like it yeah. and then I can sure. go. Yeah, I've got to pick her. I've got to pick her up at two thirty, but it's literally like three streets down and okay. it's like half a mile and I'll, I'll be back with, I could be back within five minutes. Sure. Do you have anything else to say about white noise in particular? I have one thing I wanted to say about, uh, okay. Noise, about okay. the and then let me, actually I, I did too. So this is perfect. Okay. Um, so I'm going to 
lead you into that. All right. So I'm going to okay. give us a little blank time here. So yeah, uh, white noise was interesting. Joe, do you have anything uh, left to say? Anything about uh, any of the actors, family, music, anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, I you know we mentioned that you know just that you know I I enjoy most of the lead actors here. The exception maybe to that, I don't know if I'd say the exception to it, but um, you know Heinrich uh, Sam Navola is the actor's name. Don't fucking break my heart, Joe. <laughs> about five minutes in, I was like, is he doing a jesse eisenberg impression yes he sounds and exactly like him sounded exactly like and i was like after if i was like maybe okay maybe he's going somewhere with this and then as it went along i was just like this is just irritating this is just getting irritating because he just keeps doing it and he sounds like him and i don't i don't know if there was some purpose to it maybe it was an in joke or maybe you know but i was just like i don't know he just he feels like low rent jesse eisenberg about 15 minutes after this movie started and you know i mean obviously he's he's younger and jesse eisenberg is an adult as you know well, we'll talk i mean about him a little bit yeah but. baumbach worked with eisenberg on uh the squid and the whale of course yeah um and i don't think that uh heinrich was that different of a character than any literally any of the typecast that uh jesse eisenberg does yeah. the difference between you and me is i put that as a positive thing <laughs> 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 I actually, I just thought it was funny. I, I you know, because um, I, I because I could not see anything other than Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah. he sounds exactly like this guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is it was, weird. It was pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah. But there, like, there was a but I agree where, with you. Why? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but there there was a moment where I had looked down, like away from the the screen, and I heard this voice, and I was like, "Is that Jesse Eisenberg?" And I looked up, and I was like. No, it's this punk kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like the Sam Navola kid needs to if this is how he acts all the time, he's uh -huh. not going to go very far cuz everyone's going to call him like low budget Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. right? Like and so I hope that's not I hope this wasn't in um I found it amusing uh, actually. Amusing is the best word I can even say about this. Like again, not a great movie but I just found it so amusing. The experience of watching it actually for me uh, was uh, a good time. And I, I love that you, uh, I love how we just had very, like it was more grading to you over time. <laughs> right. Whereas for me, I was just like endless, like just continuously more and more amused. But I thought Adam driver did super well doing this kind of comedy. I thought it's like timing and everything was spot on. Uh, Greta Gerwig is again always kind of great. I I think I just like her thing. There's like something about her delivery and all of that that you see in every movie she's in, yeah. and this is no exception. Um, but like you could watch Francis Ha, you could watch uh, The House of the Devil, and then you could watch this, and you're gonna get a very similar Greta Gerwig, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but man, there's just something about this one. Uh, that you know, I I I find that I have like an affinity for her, kind of inherently. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't even need the character to be developed. I kind of just like am kind of invested, uh, which I never knew that about myself and Greta Gerwig until I watched this. And I'm like, they're not really doing anything to make me care, but I kind of just do. Yeah. Um, so that's not necessarily any thing the film did. And then, of course, like, you know, Don Cheadle and all of the other kind of side, the lesser side characters, even mm -hmm. um, I feel like they kind of just get the rhythm 
of what's going on. I feel like everyone kind of worked together really well. You mentioned, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou earlier. Yeah. And uh, how that kind of works with the Coen Brothers thing, right? Where, like, you have all of these actors, including George Clooney, Mm -hmm. um, and everything kind of uh, ends up working out in this very specific Coen Brothers style. Yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, soundtrack's great. I I personally, it's the last thing I'll say, Joe, and then we'll finish up here uh, Mm -hmm. with White Noise. But um, I actually really liked, I don't know if you actually finished this or not, but I actually really liked the ending credit sequence which is um, a essentially a musical dance sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't expect everyone to. I have the IMDb pulled up right now, and the fucking car is in the water, and I hate that. <laughs> but anyways, um, but the uh, the dance, <laughs> the the over, the ridiculous uh, choreography yeah, yeah. Um, dance sequence in a grocery store, mm-hmm. um, I thought was a clever bit of credits. I uh, for me personally, I don't I don't think you're on this bus, but you can correct me if if I'm wrong. Um, if you if you're wanting to just have a good time and you can find anything funny about any of these characters, mm-hmm. I think you can have a good time with this movie. Yeah. Do not go into this thinking it's going to change your life, okay? Sure. Or that it's going to be any kind of thing that's going to last any longer than the running time, all right? Which yeah. is pretty substantial, two hours, 16 minutes. Um, but uh, I found this endlessly amusing. Joe, you seemed to be more, uh, by the end, it was kind of grading and you were kind of done, checked yeah. out. Um, but, uh, if you watch white noise on Netflix and you agree or disagree, please let us know medium cool pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to come right back to talk about speaking of Jesse Eisenberg, his directorial and screenwriting debut. When you finish saving the world. When you finish Saving the World 2023, this is our first 2023 movie, which would be, uh, which is good. It's written and directed by Jesse Eisenberg. The cast is Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfhard. I don't know exactly how he pronounces it. Um, I usually just, my daughter, because she was obsessed with Stranger Things, would call him Finn. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's Mike from Stranger Things. Yep. Um, I hate to start that now. You know, he can <laughs> do more. All right. But, anyways. It's like calling uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe Harry Potter. It's like, he can do more. It's okay. He's weird out now. Anyways, uh, release date, January 20th, 2023. It's this Friday in Canada. Um, And so a very few U.S. limited dates uh, in Indianapolis. If you're uh, kind of close to our neck of the woods, the living room theaters uh, uh, venue is going to be holding that. Um, but I'm sure more U.S. release dates will follow if I had to guess. So we'll try to keep you up to date with that. Um, it is not streaming anywhere. We got this early. Thank you, A24. Uh, this is us doing kind of an early review here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to talk about this, Joe. It's it's about Evelyn who has devoted herself uh, to helping people in hard times, but she struggles to connect with her son Ziggy, played by uh, Finn Wolfhard. Um, and and he is an aspiring internet star oblivious to the problems of the world. And as Evelyn attempts to become a parent figure to an unassuming teenager, she meets at her shelter, uh, and Ziggy fumbles through his pursuit of a brilliant and politically conscious young woman at his high school, this emotional comedy, which, Mm -hmm. I might take issue with the term comedy. We'll see. Um, written and directed by Jesse Eisenberg reveals a funny and sharply perceptive portrait of a mother and son who may seem at odds, 
but who are more alike than either would care to admit. Now, I would say that this is a perfect example of a dramedy, not to get nitpicky, but I don't want people to think this is white noise, okay? All right. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is very much, uh, there's a lot of serious here uh, yeah. on top of um, it also me laughing out loud at certain things. Uh, to call this a comedy, though, I feel like does it a disservice. Uh, but Joe, this film reminds me of, quote, indie movies uh, of the early to mid 2000s thinking of movies like we've already discussed to some extent but also that Eisenberg was starting in things like the squid and the whale Uh, but other movies outside of Eisenberg um, like Thumbsucker the Ballad of Jack and Rose Junebug and the list goes on and on and on these are all indie 2000s movies you could have bought a blockbuster before it went defunct you know, um, and th- there was like a whole there was a whole kind of movement of these movies until Juno kind of made it uh, essentially studio fair. But prior to that, uh, you had a lot of really interesting movies, even if they weren't great. I felt like I was always watching them and still getting something out of them. Um, and, uh, you know, those movies always seemed very grounded to me, uh, mostly interested in people. Yeah. Uh, and I have a fond history and a great deal of nostalgia for that stuff. So to to say the least, when, when you finish Saving the World, this film, it just, man, it felt like a throwback to that time in my life. And um, I, I'm a fan. I'll just say it out. I'll just say it out right. I, I don't usually check Letterboxd before we speak because uh-huh. I don't necessarily want to see what your rating was in case you rated it. Uh-huh. Um, but I did just by accident or whatever see it and we rated it the same nice so i'm actually i'm I'm actually very happy about that um but i you know i i, I don't know how you were with movies like this the the mid-2000s indie movies the stuff that this movie makes me think of uh, at the time um mm-hmm. the kind of movies like i said that eisenberg started in uh but but did you have any nostalgia with this one like wh- where do you land on this movie yeah, it it does feel like one of those art housey type movies where you know it's got a couple of actors who you recognize who are who you know these and these are it's funny because you know we have things like vehicles for actors right where we have you know an Adam Sandler movie or a Eddie Murphy movie or a Tom Cruise movie where you know like we want to put these stars on screen. And you know their their personas and people like them and here you go here's some story for them. These are sort of the a mirror image of those, except it's meant for quote unquote real actors like people who are you know who want to show off their acting you know and, yeah. and um, that this feels like certainly like one of those um, one of those kinds of movies where it's got an independent feel you know there's a lot of those little uh, um, laurels. You know, uh, on the trailer, when you watch the trailer, there's like little little Laurel's official selection of, you know, yeah. the, this film festival or that film festival where they play them in that kind of. It's been know. doing the festival rounds for a year. Yeah, 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 and um, and that's and it's like it's that's very cool, and yeah, and I'm a film of, a fan of those films in in a general way, and and I was a, a fan of this movie also. I think, um, it's one of those movies that you know it's like well we're a little slice of life and we're. You know, we're portraying certain like little truths about whatever topic in this case, like growing up and, you know, relationships with your parents or, you know, vice versa relationships with your children. If, if you know, if you're depending on who's, whose lens you're looking through, um, it, you know, it's, and you know, yeah, you mentioned those movies, things like Little Miss Sunshine, although there were, you know, a, a couple of, there were certainly 
um, big name actors in that movie also where it's kind of like, you know, they're, they're blurring the line between, like you said, between um, uh, studio fair and independence. And um, in this case, it's Julianne Moore who, you know, again, loves these kind of movies and uh, you know, Finn Wolfhard, who's kind of one of the kind of the hot young child actors of, of our day. Now um, there's J O Sanders is, is really is the only other person who I really recognize. He's one of those, that guys where you're just like, yeah, I know, I know him from somewhere, and I'm like looking at his face right now, and I'm like, what, what is he in? Um, he, he's in like everything, but you can't think of a sing. I legit can't yes. think of a single other thing. Yeah, <laughs> Here, here's what he's known for, according to IMDb: The Day After Tomorrow, Edge of Darkness, uh, Revolutionary Road, and Kiss the Girls. Those are four very different movies. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's he's yeah he's he's a certified kind of that guy, as I used to say back in the day. Um, he, yeah, a, a guy who you see on TV and in films a lot, usually in kind of smaller supporting roles, um, which he kind of does here too. Um, you know, he's he's there to do one or two certain key things, and then he's out of the picture again. So um, here he's Evelyn's husband, he's Ziggy's father, and they're quite the trio, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting family dynamic. The thing the thing with speaking of the family here, like you just let us into. Um, you know, I, I think of movies like The Squid and the Whale, where you have Jeff Daniels, Laura Lenny. Of yep. course, at the time, Jesse Eisenberg wasn't necessarily like a full name. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, like you Jesse almost Eisenberg. immediately gravitate. What did I say? I said he was just Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, was not okay. A, it, wasn't, it wasn't a full name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in the <laughs> Ballad of Jack and Rose, face right now, everyone. <laughs> 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 yeah, the uh, the Ballad of Jack and Rose. That was a Daniel Day Lewis movie that also had like Jenna Malone and a few others in it. But it was like a very kind of low budget movie. Uh, Junebug had Amy Adams before she was super popular. Yeah. Uh, like you know, and and there was like this time before movies like Little Miss Sunshine and Juno and these movies that were uh, quote unquote indie. And I'm doing air quotes, yeah. um, but that were kind of it'd be like Fox Searchlights. Like they, it's like they have Fox money. Yes. Right. But they're but they're not giving them the huge budget, but they're able to get name actors and they're still up for awards mm-hmm. <laughs> that aren't the independent spirit award. OK, <laughs> right. yeah. and and like, you know, these are the movies you'd see as Sundance movies like they they like the squid and the whale, to my knowledge, had nothing to do with the Oscars that year, even though I think it's one of the best movies probably of 2005. Again, a Noah Baumbach film to tie into white noise. Um but Thumbsucker, not a great movie, but that was a movie I love. Keanu Reeves is in that. Yeah. Can you believe that? It's a little side thing. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like uh, like Drew Barrymore being in Donnie Darko or Patrick Swayze. It's like they're in it for like very <laughs> short amount of time, but you can still say they're in it. Right. And that's how yeah. Keanu Reeves was in uh, Thumbsucker. So, you know, you have these uh, those movies like that. When you finish Saving the World, the way it looks, the lighting, it feels very natural. It feels a little gritty. In terms of like the the way it's shot, it feels exactly to me in my memory. I'd have to go like you know I could, uh, you know side by side those and probably find differences. But man, it like took me back, dude. And yeah. you know uh, the family unit's great because you have Julianne Moore who is this uh, kind of uh, well very you know liberal, um, politically savvy, um, intellectual likes to drink wine but she's the type that swirls it and smells it before she drinks it like i feel like this tells you a lot about <laughs> like oh, yeah, these kind of seemingly yeah. trivial things do actually develop this character yeah. she drives like the most mini electric car there is yeah, possible yeah, it's a smart car it's like the literal yeah. smart 
brand car yeah 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 it's like the teeniest thing she runs a non-profit like uh half like a basic not a halfway house that implies something very different but like a shelter yeah um, and yeah. yeah exactly thank you and so you know that's very much her to a t right mm -hmm. uh the father who you mentioned uh which i don't even remember his name his name is Roger. i'm just looking at imdb yeah so. i was about to say i was just pulling it up because i was like i could easily yeah. look this up but roger is uh in it very few times mm -hmm. mostly talking about dinner or food or mad that they didn't go to his lifetime achievement award or something you know yes. uh ceremony and so um you know but he is he seems like just kind of like an average joe like uh -huh. to an extent, still intellectual, still the wine drink of the classic yeah. music, classical yeah. music listener. He he certainly pairs to an extent with Evelyn. Yes. Um. Yes. But Evelyn seems to uh, not think about him maybe as much as he thinks about her, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. But they have a they have a good. They seem like they have a relatively good relationship. They understand each other. Um. And and they get along well. And then there's Finn. Mm -hmm. Uh. Or sorry, rather, uh, Ziggy. uh, Ziggy. Sorry. Uh. Played by Finn. Ziggy is this teenager who is doing everything that like my preteen wants to do or is doing right now. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, he streams on this uh, streaming service, which is kind of like a Twitch um, called hi hat in, in the, in the show. I actually don't know if that's real, but uh, I don't think it is. He's very, very quick to tell you he has 20,000 subscribers and that he is certified and, Mm -hmm. He gets such and such upvotes, and right. uh, and so I mean that is very much his his focus in life. It's like how can I do this, and it's all under the guise in his mind. Even though I don't think he actually believes this, but he convinces himself it's all because he wants to make people's lives a little bit better. They get yeah. to hear some of his music because he plays music while he live streams and he writes these <laughs> songs. The most jesse eisenberg circa 2005 songs <laughs> i've ever heard like i am not surprised he's involved in this you yeah. know what i mean yeah. um but yeah ziggy is is your kind of uh standard privileged teen he lives in a good neighborhood in a good town with well like uh, successful to some extent parents mm -hmm. not by any means wealthy by any means but yeah. you know he has enough he is um you know he is a midwest privileged child yeah. and so he doesn't have to think about all of these other things these political things that are happening around the world he doesn't have to think about people who don't have money uh you know he he's not particularly interested in volunteering at the shelter or doing anything like that he wants to focus on essentially becoming a famous musician uh via this hi-hat streaming service mm -hmm. and uh Unfortunately, that's kind of where the crux of the film is. We have Evelyn, who is this person who's very uh, socially savvy as well and trying to uh, bring social change to in whatever way she can. And you have Ziggy, who all he wants to do is live stream, something Evelyn doesn't even know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. she says live stream like my grandma would say something about me going to college. You know, she's like <laughs> live stream, you know, and it's like, come on, Evelyn, you don't know what live streaming like. Like, I know you're a different generation, but come on. Um, but I would I would say this is a pretty traditional coming of age uh, if it focused on Ziggy exclusively, mm -hmm. but adding the component of Evelyn to it, it becomes yeah. this coming of age film about this teenager. But it's also this uh, kind of um, midlife realization of Evelyn where she realizes um, she's kind of stuck in her own bubble. 
right? Yes. And and she's she wants certain things and eventually has to reckon with the fact that she doesn't have them. Uh, right. I'm trying to be a little vague as well here. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's start with uh, the family, though. Performances and, and, and narrative beats and stuff. I mean, how did yeah. you... F- that is a big part of the movie. I mean, that's like the whole thing almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you everything. feel about it, man? Yeah, yeah. This is everything that the movie that revolve, the movie revolves around. Yeah, it's the, the relationship between these two and to a somewhat lesser extent, the three of them, uh, the, you know, mom, dad, and and the, the teenage son. But... Yeah, I I thought this was a really interesting uh, dynamic. It was a fun, it, it was fun. It was very awkward. So they're they're kind of an awkward trio. Um, Evelyn is, you know, you talked about her her social consciousness, but um, you know, when to like interpersonal communication, she's polished in one sense, in the sense of say being able to speak to someone who's emotionally very fragile. You know, we, we talked about how. You know, she's dealing a lot with women who have been abused by their domestic partners, you know, their, sure. their husbands specifically, I guess, in most of the cases. Um, and she's very good at that. But when it comes to like actual real heart to heart emotional conversations, she has a hard time. Uh, the the thing I was I was kind of trying to put it into words um, when as I was watching it. And I feel like she almost got she's almost been overtaken by the job, by her job. Yeah. You know, which, you know, is emotionally taxing, right? Like everyone knows, you know, the, you know, when you're a social worker, when you're someone who deals with people who've been in, in bad situations like that and and have been abused, those stories are very sad and they take an emotional toll on you. So people who are in that line of work tend to have to kind of shut out that emotion. And in doing so, I think she shut out a lot of emotion between her and her, her uh, uh, husband and, and son and even with other people and and there there's a couple of kind of key scenes where you know you see her interacting with people and I won't go into the specifics of them other than other than to say that you'll you know you see her trying to interact with them and she has difficulty doing so because it's very awkward for her because she's not she doesn't want to open up um Ziggy on the other hand is very willing to open up and wear his emotions you know very proudly yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, for, for good or bad, but um, he's also, as you said, very self-absorbed and, um, you know, he he's very he very much expects everyone to be completely impressed by his 20,000 subscribers or followers and that, you know, they gave him 90 bucks in tips or whatever. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, whenever when he brings it up at one point uh, for the third time to this group, they're like, yeah, you told this. He's like, oh, I did. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, like he, no. he's so he's just he really wants people to think he's cool and he's yeah. so self-absorbed that he has no kind of social consciousness yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like um and and he has these these great moments where you know he finds a community online mm-hmm. and he is like really um he finds it's kind of like a home to him in a way yeah. And people like him for who he is. And then he sees people that he wants to be around, uh, yeah. whether it be for physical attraction or or, or what, <laughs> yes. uh, romantic intentions or not, doesn't matter. The point is he wants to be involved with like the politically savvy students on campus and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he just doesn't understand. He can't even wrap his head around how to get there. Like, yeah. how did they even get there? And I relate to this massively. Because yeah. I just didn't understand when I was growing up, like how to do not necessarily that, like to be politically savvy, 
but to be any kind of savvy outside of what I was very, very focused on, like uh, metal music, basically, at that time, uh-huh. you know, and it's like I knew a bunch about it. But then I'd talk to someone who knew a lot more than me about it. It's like, how do you even know all this? Right. Like, what are you doing to be uh-huh. this person? You know what I mean? I yeah. just had no idea. And so, like, uh, we see Ziggy here where you know, there's a point where he and his mom, uh, are, Evelyn, are driving in the car. Evelyn's taking him to work because, luckily for him, this day, he actually made it downstairs on time. Because mm-hmm. um, there's also a scene where he, Evelyn, he says, hey, mom, will you take me to school or whatever? And she's like, yeah, are you ready right now? Which is a recurring line. And he goes, yeah, just give me five seconds. And then she gives him literally five seconds and then yeah. just leaves. <laughs> right, yeah. Which that's yeah. like in the trailer, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, um, yeah. but she straight up just like gives him that very literal amount of time. Uh, but anyways, the the cool thing is uh, they're in this in this smart car driving to school one time where he actually gets to go with her. Yeah. And uh, he basic he knows that she's politically savvy to an extent, you know, very, very much like if, if there was an SNL skit and you were playing an NPR intellectual. Yeah, she would be a person that would yeah, be in absolutely. SNL almost like not yeah. that she's a caricature, but she they would caricature her character, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. Um. So she's very much that thing. You know, she listens to classical music in the car and mm-hmm. uh, very kind of soft spoken for the most part. She won't yell. There's right. a point where where her son's like, hey, mom. And she's like, I'll talk to you when you're closer. Yes. <laughs> you know, like she's just very much that person. So when they're in the car together. Uh, and he's trying to he's like, can you just like like give me a line, basically, like get like what's something cool I can say? Yeah. And I think like this is actually. Not only does it develop their relationship, like it kind of gives us insight into how why they're different, why they are kind of why there's a tension there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, I think it's actually like a really kind of important thing to talk about, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's like something I want to talk about with my daughter even or something because they start going into what it means to be a part of these groups of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you're going to come off phony if you yes. just drop a line, right? Mm-hmm. Like just drop some political line that you can't back up or if you say something like, yeah, I totally agree with you. And then someone says, why? Yeah. And then you can't back it up. You come off like a completely unauthentic phony. Right. And his mom's trying to explain, like, if you want to learn, I'll help you learn. But like, this takes work. And he's like, oh, work like, like, why would I do that? Just give me just tell me the thing. And and there's like this interesting disconnect and that generational that generational aspect of uh, of the film. I found I don't know. I just found it really. There's just uh, there's something about those indie movies in the mid 2000s that this also has where there is a certain truth Mm -hmm. to these seemingly trivial scenes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, That resonate with me, I guess is the best way to put it. Did you have anything in the movie where you just kind of thought on it and you were just like, wow, that's actually like an interesting place to go. Yeah. And it's also working as a way of developing X or whatever. Yes, know. yeah. The, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm going back to that. Well, I mean, th- really, the the relationship. There's there's sort of. Well, I mean, there's really five, but I'm I'm only going to touch on four of the relationships and and that at least in this conversation, um, and, and that's the kind of that that trio of the mom, dad, and the son, and then Ziggy with Lila, the girl that he's he's got a crush on. And it, it, you know, it, it speaks to a lot of things that how 
he's obsessed with Lila and he feels like I want to know everything about her. I want to be around her. I want to care about the things she cares about, but he doesn't at all. You know, (laughs) doesn't, you know, he, you know, you, you mentioned that scene where he says, you know, Oh, where she's speaking very passionately about things. And he is like, yes, I agree with you. And someone asks why. And he's like, he's got nothing. He has no idea why he wasn't even listening to what she said. He was listening to the tone of voice she was using, which was, yeah. you know, as he said, passionate. And, you know, like she she obviously cares about these things that are happening very far away. And um, he but he can't really be bothered to even figure out what they are. Uh, so, you know, and and not only that, but it was ridiculous, even the idea that he would even care about it. You know, he he gets angry when when Evelyn refuses that. So um, it you know, he he's as a character, Ziggy is is pretty frustrating, you know, and, and he. Yeah. And, and it's kind of hard to see for tell for a while because obviously he keeps coming around Lila and he's like, Hey, so, you know, about my live streaming, you know, and she's like, it, for a while, he feels like this annoying, the, you know, the annoying kid in high school that is always hanging around you and telling you about things that, you know, nobody really cares about except for him. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then you look at those relationships between him and he and his parents and you can see that um, you can see why he's that way. And there's there's another scene that was in the trailer where um, where his dad is sitting at the table with him at, at the dinner table. And he's like, they're, they're not eating, but he's just like, so are you thinking about committing suicide? And he's <laughs> like, he's like, no, why? He's like, oh, well, I was just reading this article and it says that kids your age and in your demographics tend to commit suicide more. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure. And it Dude. was like that is his version of a heart to heart with his son you know again they're they they're not capable of or you know maybe not capable but not willing to have these emotional connections to where you know it's you know they're they're just like oh yeah i read this article which made me think about you for a second so i just want to make sure that you're not going to become one of those statistics yeah. and he's just like no he's like okay cool and that was kind of like the end of yeah <laughs> that is such I keep going back to this, but that is such a mid two thousands, early two thousands indie movie dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I can think of specific moments in other movies that have that awkward mm-hmm. interaction like that, where it's like this this weird thing. It's like it's like Jesse Eisenberg just like watched a bunch of those movies that he grew <laughs> up in the industry, uh-huh. you know, kind of being around uh, either by proxy or in himself, and it's just yeah. like let's do this again. It's almost like Jonah Hill's uh like m- the mid 90s movie that he did or whatever it was called. Um and and that movie was actually uh really good. I'm going to find out what that was called now. I think it was called Mid 90s. Yeah, I think it was called Mid 90s. Yeah. Um I don't know why I'm like not finding it easily, which is very frustrating. <laughs> but anyways, uh the the point is though, he he was um he did that. This is wrong. Yeah. Well, you go look at that. I'll I'll keep talking about. I'll well, we'll talk about this other relationship. Maybe we can start that. Well, part. before that though, I'll I'll skip the Jonah Hill thing. The point is, he okay. made a movie, and it felt like he went back okay. and watched yeah. certain movies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, from the mid '90s, which is actually yeah. when those movies came out. Obviously, um, throwing a nod to that, and that movie's awesome. I yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, uh, it's it's interesting to see these kind of actors turn directors doing these movies similar to the way that they did them at the time yeah but you bring up uh all of this uh, about the family and 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 everything and i just i feel like um the lila story arc um is 
like so important. I think I'm looking for her name real quick. It's uh, Alicia Bow. Alicia Bow, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought she was great. She was terrific. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a point where she's just uh, she's working in this like whatever it is, a science class. They're doing like chemistry stuff or whatever, yeah. and he's just uh, Ziggy's just begging to talk to her. So he keeps going to get more like baking soda and stuff because it's right by where she is, and uh-huh. he just keeps bothering her. And she's being what I love about it is like when in high school or middle school even or anything like that yeah. like everyone actually is nicer than we remember like mm-hmm. to an extent yeah there are fucking assholes there are exceptions right but like even like the preps that hated me mm-hmm. you know what i mean like sure. uh because i was like some metal kid and i wore like jinko baggy jeans and had long hair and like uh you know uh gnarly stash you know like mustache uh-huh. you know <laughs> you know like i was just like this gnarly metal kid i wore like ball chain necklaces yeah. and metal band tees anyways like they hated me and but like they would yeah. like be nice to me in the hall you know what i'm saying like they weren't just like mean to me all the time they, right. like if they bumped into me they'd say sorry you yeah. know what I mean? And right. and so the Alicia Bow sequence, like that one in particular, that scene where they're in the science class and he keeps bothering her. There's yeah. that point of like, I thought she was about to yell at him because there's a point where he walks up and startles her because he kind of yeah. sneaks up on her. Um, yeah. And she's like, stop sneaking up on me, you know? But then yeah. it's like, eventually she's like, dude, I know you're not into politics. Like, it's cool. Yeah, like, it's cool. Yeah. You're cool. Like, do your thing. And mm-hmm. I just that those are the moments that seem real to me. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Um, so what were you going to say about, uh, as I was looking for mid nineties, what were you going to say about, uh, (laughs) another relationship? Yeah, no, well, yeah, the, the other relationship is, and, and again, this all, this all forms a nice, neat circle, uh, emotionally speaking, you know, the, you know, it, it talks about why Ziggy is, um, you know, is so self-absorbed and unable to really connect with other people. And that's the fact that his parents can't do it either. And yeah. uh, Evelyn has uh, has this moment with um, uh, a woman who comes into the shelter um, seeking help and a place to stay, and she brings her teenage son, um, who comes, who is also um, who also goes to the same school that Ziggy goes to, and uh, and and there's and and it's weird because it it feels like there's going to be more of a moment where those two come into contact, but that that's a, a kind of a strange development that kind of doesn't really pan out in a way um in a way that i expected it to but it, it's fine it doesn't yeah. it's not it's not germane to the story um necessarily but there, yeah, it you know, didn't need to but i had different expectations too yeah yeah, yeah. and and so the, this boy is um it, you know he obviously he's suffering from his you know his father had, has been abusing his mother and you know it, it's probably been happening for some time and um but at the same time he's kind of close to his dad and he kind of has these plans to um, start a career as an auto mechanic at his dad's shop and you know of course Evelyn from the outside sees this as an opportunity to counsel him and she soon kind of he kind of almost becomes I don't know they they have sort of a, a relationship that is um different uh but you kind of get the the feeling that she's connecting with him on an emotional level that she can't with her son and um it it went off in directions that were pretty interesting and um and and different but it, it's uh, uh again i don't want to say too much about it because there's there's a certain there's an implication or two as to where it could go um and then there's the place that it goes that you know uh, again i it's it's 
I don't want to I don't want to get too much into it sure. um, because it's it's sort of a journey on its own I feel like but yeah. it's it, it was in, it's interesting enough that it it shows Evelyn's also got some emotional baggage that she's dealing with she can't connect with her son the way she wants um she's potentially having problems connecting with her husband maybe maybe not but certainly with other people also and once she finds someone that she can connect with she's latching on in an, a less than healthy way um uh, again much as Ziggy does uh with with uh, the object of his affections Lila <laughs> yeah yeah you're spot on here um uh I will say this to give us room to talk. Uh, it is more than this, listeners. So whenever you get a chance to see this, and I encourage you to check it out, um, you'll get what we mean here. But yeah, uh, there is clearly like Kyle, which is the the, the uh, teenage young man mm-hmm. in the shelter with his mom. Yeah, uh, Evelyn takes a liking to Kyle because he is literally the opposite of Ziggy. Yes, yeah, he is not a privileged kid he has lived a rough life he's very kind and helpful to his mother they have a wonderful relationship he volunteers at the shelter he is for her a surrogate son in some ways that she's trying in the making like she's trying to make that for him she's trying to make decisions for him she's trying to there's this really awkward scene bro like (laughs) I, i literally just like sat back i was like oh God, please don't do this. Yeah. Because there's a point where, like, in the middle of like the evening, she just goes back under the guise of needing to get papers out of her office. Yeah. But just to take not Kyle and his mother, yeah. just Kyle dinner. Yes. And I'm like, dude, this is unhealthy. <laughs> like, yeah. like, uh-huh. like you're I was just I could just see 15 different things right. going wrong with this. And I won't tell the listeners what happens yeah uh, you can experience it but it's an awkward scene mm-hmm. for me i'm just watching it dreading mm-hmm. what is about to happen because as i said in the synopsis uh you know they're not that different ziggy and uh they're like two sides of a coin ziggy and evelyn right yeah um and and there's like this huge generational gap and they're both just very different people and they have b- different lived experiences um and so uh you know Evelyn is getting as obsessed about mm-hmm. uh, making this young man her surrogate son of sorts mm-hmm. as Ziggy is trying to win over the affections of Lila, right? Right, yeah. So that's part of the beauty of this movie, I think, is you get a lot of parallels between these two characters that I don't think are obvious. If you think about them, I don't think they're all so difficult to figure out. But like, right. I think some people could easily overlook the direct parallels of these two characters. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I love that you went there. That was good. I I do want to say this though, uh, kind of taking a slightly different direction just because Mm -hmm. this is something that really stood out to me in a good way. Um, is I was actually a huge fan of the music. Um, it's very minimal, uh, some synthesizers an acoustic guitar, I think like, like that might be it. It's like really simple. that early to mid 90s or 2000s indie movie Uh sound. Um, Again, this is very, very much fitting into that. But uh, Emil Masseri, I hope I didn't ruin that, but that was the composer. Uh, And this dude has done a lot, actually. He did uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was a very popular movie in 2019. Mm -hmm. Kajillionaire and Minari in 2020. 
Uh, he also did, obviously, this one when you finish Saving the World, but he also did the Jonah Hill, speaking of someone I already brought up, uh, his documentary Stutz, he brought, um, or Stutz, I haven't watched that yet, I need to watch it. It's been out for literally a year, and oh. I haven't watched it, so I need to give it a shot. It's like 80 minutes long or something really short, um, but... Anyways, that's on Netflix. I got to check that out. But this dude's done like a lot of popular work recently. And listening to it, I would have never thought that. Not because it's bad by any means. It's just so minimal. Yeah. But God damn, Joe. Was um, it effective for me? <laughs> yeah. I'm like listening and there's something kind of droney about the simplicity of it and the sounds that they choose for these kind of keyboard sounds. Yeah, man, I was fucking into this. Did you have any reaction to any of the production stuff? I'm namely the music, but anything like that. Did you have any kind of immediate reactions? Well, the well, here here's the the some of the things that you know I I had maybe a little more visual things than you know than the the music the music was fine. I thought um, most of the music that stood out was was Ziggy's singing was the stuff that was part of the you know the narrative. Yeah. The, um, I think that that you know the the soundtrack, so to speak, the the score, what you know was uh, very appropriate for you know, like you said, for this time period where it's it's yeah. you know, sort of slowish and you know it 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 represent you know it's it's representing these the vis- the emotional journeys that they're on, um, but visually this uh, you know as we said it feels like one of those indie movies. Now this movie I want to I want to shout this out because it's it's cool you know kind of for us personally. The, the movie takes place in Bloomington, Indiana. That's um, where I was going next. Yeah. Go yeah. It's, it's um now Jesse Eisenberg. I know a couple of years back moved to uh, Bloomington. Um, it was, I know that just because it was in the news around here. Um, and, you know, he, he had come here and visited and then it was like, Hey, I'm moving to Bloomington. Um, I, I after watching this, uh, after seeing this movie, I, I kind of have a, a thing where, you know, a, a, maybe a working theory that he was moving here to make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, he, I, I'm sure it wasn't his only home, uh, but I know he did establish a, a residence here for a while at least. Um, but this movie was, I believe, um, and my, my girlfriend and I, Elisha, um, who used to live in New Mexico, um, ironically, um, we were trying to figure out whether this was filmed, you know, like whether it was like actually Bloomington or, um, or New Mexico. And we, we did look it up and, and it was filmed largely in Albuquerque. And uh, so we were like certainly looking at at the landscapes a lot of times going or in the in the architecture and the buildings going is this that's definitely a New Mexico building this is definitely a uh, uh, a New Mexico setting you know and so um, it that, you know, that's on that real quick I'm sorry to interrupt you but I, I just want to say that I I found the look of the city yeah um like Bloomington also has a very specific look like if you yes. go there you see a lot of very old buildings and a mm-hmm. lot of old homes yeah there's like an antiqueness to it while also being very modern like they they preserve their history but also there's like a modernization of all of that as well I love Bloomington yeah and the and the thing is like I'm looking at it and I'm like is that what Bloomington looks like but at the same time, because I didn't know that until you said it to me earlier before we started recording. And I was like, is that what Bloomington looks like? But it has such a distinct look that yeah. it still did the thing. Like it made the effect. You yes. know what I mean? Because yes. I couldn't directly say that wasn't Bloomington. But right. Bloomington does have such a specific look that I did go, wow, the movie, regardless, at least hit it out of the park where this doesn't just look like suburb of Chicago or right. 
like a like every movie looks like it was shot in New York or Chicago or L.A. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like right. this is the most Midwest, even though it was shot in the yeah. Southwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, continue, please. Yeah, I just no, think well, that's so well, great. I'll, I'll go off in that direction a little bit, just a little bit, because it, it's uh, kind of ties my point. But, yeah, it was um, it, it they you know, they did do a very good job of making it look small and midwestern and i mean i've been to bloomington many times i mean i lived in bloomington for a, a time and, and even more recently i worked there um so there there were certain times where i was looking at it and going is this this could this could certainly pass as bloomington and uh and a, a lot of it is that there's a lot of kind of closer shots kind of up close shots where you see a building or two and there you know there now these aren't like stucco buildings where you're just like oh this just looks so much like new mexico like it they look like just kind of older generic buildings in a kind of a hipstery town which is sort of what bloomington is um to where it's it, it yeah you could you could question it and you're there's a couple of times where you're like yeah that's not really it but it, it does like you said it doesn't matter because it's the vibe it's that small it's that kind of small town like liberal small town vibe that you get from it where you know, there's there's a lot of older buildings that are repurposed into something else. Um, there are people who have uh, a fair amount of they they're maybe they're as you said. You know, you you mentioned the the upper middle class. I think that that's even a line um, in the uh, that's a, that is a line Roger delivers at one point. It's like you know your upper middle class, uh, but it's Bloomington, Indiana, upper middle class, which is yeah, like you know it's really like Bloomington, just middle Indiana, class. middle class could not live in L.A. Right, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we'd go bankrupt. In, in week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it, like in a a, a two bedroom apartment in L.A. is yes, like twice the mortgage payment here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, tw yeah, yeah, twice the mortgage payment of my two story house here, and you know, yeah. in, in the in the area. But, um, but yeah, but that that's that's the whole thing is it it kind of captures that spirit of it. It's not you know, it's not it's not desert scapes at all. It it looks like like they they went to great pains to make you believe that it's um that this is indiana and it's not it's certainly as as a resident of the state is not pulling me out of that you know that not at all if anything i was just i had to look really close to see um to look at the, there's there's a picture at one point of um uh, evelyn like breaking ground on her facility like that you see for just a second and and i did look over at alicia at that point i was like well that was certainly was new mexico dirt you know just like laughing but yeah. like that was as much as i could really get out of it because everything out there's even you see a lot of sort of like medium shots of houses and it it could have been pulled those a lot of those houses exist around here as far as the architecture goes with the front porches and stone porches yeah, and and yeah. there's so. a, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, activism and stuff going on yeah um because uh, for anyone who doesn't live in indiana or doesn't know uh bloomington is essentially iu which is 110 percent fully infused into the city where you don't even know whether you're on campus or off campus anymore and then there's a halo around the city of just bloomington <laughs> like just this kind of outer ring of just Bloomington and everything else inside is pretty much IU. Right. Uh, it is a huge, enormous campus. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so everything is, uh, you get a lot of youthfulness there. You get a lot of activism there. You It, it does feel regardless of 
whether it is, it does feel very liberal and progressive there. Um, And even the venue that Ziggy goes to and ends up uh, seeing Layla there. And did I say the name right? Layla? Did I say that? Lila. Thank you. I was like, that didn't sound right. Uh, But whenever he sees Lila there and, and, you know, you have these people doing these different random performance art and different types of music renditions. And it's literally just like some weird storefront that's just abandoned and they threw up like yes. a sheet with like painted words on it and now it's like a venue you know dude right. i've been to those there yeah so it's like like legit you know <laughs> like that's yeah. a very midwest thing uh in the past at least i don't know how like uh common it is now um but when i was a little older than uh ziggy in this Mm-hmm. Um, like an adult, based, like I was like 18 or 19. I was going to shows at places like that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And so they really, you know, I think Jesse Eisenberg really did hit certain uh, details. He kind of mm-hmm. got those details right. Question about Jesse Eisenberg, though, because I, I, I have a few things to say about the production, too, but I'll get there. Uh, how do you feel about Jesse Eisenberg as a writer-director now? Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, we've seen him in a lot of acting roles and, you know, a lot of them. And I think we can both agree are hit or miss. Not that he's particularly bad, just the movies are very hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, here's to you. Now you see me. Uh, but anyway, so. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you have like Jesse Eisenberg, but as a writer director, like, are you excited to see the next things he does? Do you have hopes that he's actually going to be like someone doing something in the industry or is do you think he's just going to be one of those guys that makes some movies that hit the festival circuit every once in a while you know what i mean like like where do you see him going do you think just based on this work i i feel like there's there's some talent you know i think he has talent based on this um is you know i don't know if he's going to continue making films like this um i think if he does i think you know if if they're as good as this i'm going to be very happy um but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be, it, it kind of depends. I, and I think as he gets older, um, you know, he's obviously he's kind of entrenched in Hollywood at this point. He's, you know, he's very established as an actor. Um, you know, yeah. you mentioned a couple of his, his bigger films, he's been in blockbusters and things. Um, it, it's funny that, um, uh, I've, I've been as a phenomenon. Uh, uh, well, let me say it like this first. I, I think, yeah, I think that the, he has a future and I think he could make, you know, he could make, several films and you know that could be you know whether he's writing or just directing or doing both as he does here um or or you know whatever um it's uh, i think he's he's talented i think he's he's talented in in this medium so um i'd love to see that um the the thing i would i would worry about beyond you know if he's like oh i'm going to be this indie darling um and and write a lot of these kind of small character driven films um is kind of what i I've kind of said is almost a Kevin Smith effect. Um, if if you've watched some of Kevin Smith's early films, they've been very, um, you know, they had they had a certain style to them, and and yeah. his fan base, uh, including someone like me, you know, was very into his movies. And then I watch his more recent movies, particularly let's say Clerks Three, and it feels very much like he's been away from that that scene for so long that he can't go back to it, and uh, and write about it effectively anymore because he's now as a a parody of himself almost and uh uh, you know jesse eisenberg has been in hollywood now as a mainstream player for several years so i I think he probably has a couple of these left in him maybe 
and then he's probably got to like branch out into something different <laughs> before he'll start to uh, he'll start to to fizzle out. I think. Um, but I yeah. also wonder if he's gonna be like in his own movies, or if like yeah, that's... like mid nineties with Jonah Hill or something where he wasn't, and that was a choice. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? That he basically used like no name. Pete, like a couple of people were just like complete no names. Yeah. In mid nineties, part of me wonders if he's just gonna kind of be getting these people he knows like i'm sure jesse eisenberg knows julianne Moore. yeah you know <laughs> like i just imagine this is pure speculation everybody but i just imagine him calling her up and be like hey i'm working on a thing would you read this <laughs> like, Absolutely you, know, <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm sure it was something like that i don't imagine him necessarily being best friends with like mm-hmm. uh finn wolfhard but like you know finn is also trying to build his own legacy uh, outside of Stranger Things, which, quite frankly, when something's that popular, it's hard to do. Yep. And, uh, you know, you see him here uh, in this. I, I, I thought this was just so good. Um, and, you know, th- and this is like a four out of five thing to me. That's what you did as well. Uh, and I, I stand by that. I think um, it's just a really solid work. I'm excited to see what he does. If he kind of what you were picking out a little bit with uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Smith and stuff is kind of like the auteur effect that they have. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, there is very much like this very specific style. Quentin Tarantino obviously has a very specific style that you can see when you watch it. And yeah. there are just so many people, Wes Anderson, another great example, like very, very specific. You can tell when imitators are doing this, right? Because he right. is so good at this thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Tarantino, same thing with a whole world of people. And um, like with this, uh, I, I love that. <clears throat> the problem with Kevin Smith, I think, is when he started getting away from that, actually. Yeah. Because he, he would do one for them, them being the studios, and then one for himself. Right. You know, and it's like the one for them was often kind of horse shit. And then <laughs> the one he did for himself all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it just uh-huh. kind of progressively got worse. And then he did um, Red State, which I have an affinity for, even though it's a completely ridiculous movie. Yes. Um, but it was like, I just had a lot of fun with it the year it came out, 2012 or whenever it was. Uh-huh. And um, and then he did like Tusk. And it's like, these are not clerks. Right. So it's like, now he's completely redefining the kind of movies he wants to do, which I respect. Yeah. Um, but that gets tricky. I would love, like you said, though, to see what Jesse Eisenberg could do with something a bit bigger. If any of these, yeah. Uh, catch on like what what could he do outside of this because he can clearly do this well yeah. and i want to give a shout out um it's weird to shout this out but benjamin Loeb is the cinematographer here benjamin did um after yang he did mandy which is so weird dude That's you remember when we watched cool. yeah. mandy yeah um, anyways uh but he, he's he's done a, a few movies kind of all over the place if you look at the stuff he's done i don't even know half of it to be honest yeah. Uh, but Benjamin Loeb, what I love about this movie, other than the aesthetic aspects that I brought up at the beginning, mm-hmm. is, uh, again, this is relatively by the books. I think that's part of the Eisenberg side uh, mm-hmm. as well. Like, you know, he he knows he clearly knows what to do. And there are a lot of shots in it where I'm like, yep, that like check that off the early to mid 2000s <laughs> like indie movie list. Like, yep, check. Yep, check. Like he he checked <laughs> off all the boxes, yeah. and I just want to say the the reason I'm shouting out to Benjamin Loeb, the cinematographer, is he made it look legit as fuck. Like it really does look like those movies. And I, I know I I know I keep bringing it back, and I want everyone listening to know I'm not simply saying that uh, when you finish Saving the World is only good because it's like a mid 
early to mid-2000s indie movie. That is not at all my intention. That is not the point. Um, this movie, I think, works on its own merits. I think it tackles some interesting things. There's just a very specific vibe that those movies had in the same way, like I said, with Jonah Hill in the mid-90s thing. The mid-90s indie movies of that nature were so specific. Movies like Kids, for example, was like yep. a, it was very disturbing, but it has a very specific, that Larry Clark rawness. Um, and so this movie just has like a complete vibe from that era. And that comes with a lot of baggage. It comes with a lot of extra stuff that I think Jesse Eisenberg actually knocks out of the park. And yeah. I think Benjamin Loeb being essentially the audience's eye with the camera um, mm -hmm. knocks that out of the park. And uh, Jesse Eisenberg actually has a few other upcoming projects uh, that I saw um, that I don't know how many of these are. I think they might all be as an actor, unfortunately. Um, but I would like to see, I mean, I like Jesse Eisenberg, by the way, so I don't mean unfortunately like he's bad, uh, but I would like to see his next directorial uh, thing here. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I do think that his next one could make or break how excited I am for the yeah. third one, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because if it's lesser than this, I may not be as excited anymore. Because this one got me, this one got me pretty hyped, to be honest. And I'm in, I'm into someone doing this style of movie again because I feel like it's been lost for a long time. In the same way that there's some music that was really popular at a certain time, and someone now throws back to that and does it accurately, and it just kind of brings back a whole flood of positive feelings toward that. Um, mm. But I think the family dynamic here is very, very interesting. You brought that up. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love how they work together. And, and like you said, too, I, I just love how um, all of their interactions are also developed based on their uh, interactions outside of their uh, family dynamic. Right. The way that Julianne Moore works with the with the uh, nonprofit um, shelter. Right. Yeah. Um, and and she knows the language. She's trained herself to know the language mm -hmm. to talk to them. But she clearly doesn't know when to stop sometimes, right? Because yes. we have a scene with uh, Kyle's mother and Evelyn uh, that is uh, pretty impactful. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, the, I don't know, man. I, I mean, what else can you say about this movie? It yeah. was, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, any final thoughts about when you finish saving the world? Uh huh. Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. Um. Yeah. It. It to me, you know, you mentioned the, the, the rating. Yeah, I gave it four stars. I was kind of vacillating between three and a half and four. Um, and I, I think it's right in that range. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a fun, it's a fun sort of, I hate to say slice of life because that's such a cliche, but um, it, you know, it's, it's that sort of, that's sort of the thing that it is, it, you know, is uh, a very specific look at, at uh, characters who um, have very specific um, uh, shortcomings and, and struggles in life. Um, there, you know, this is, this is very much like, you know, like we said, middle upper class white people problems, you know, um, but it's, it's very fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There, there's enough the it's the humor in it is, is smart humor for the most part. Um, but it's, you know, like we said, there's a lot of seriousness as well. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, uh, for me, this is, the, this is the first movie I've seen this year and it was really is the first kind of must see, I think, uh, kind of movie. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be, uh, big time at the end as far as like being a, a player yeah. for awards but it's very worthwhile and it, it's something to watch 
it's it's I would call it an easy watch, although it gets awkward at times. But it's uh, yeah. it's the kind of movie that you can watch and be like, yeah, okay, I get something out of that. One hundred percent. Yep. And, and you're right. It's at the very beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a movie. It's going to be easy to forget. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that as a as a complaint. I just mean because it isn't at the level that a lot of I think by the end of this year a lot of movies will be mm-hmm. it'd be a movie that I forget about and I might even own like I would happily own it but I might buy it own it and forget it's on my shelf until I go back through my movies and go oh mm-hmm. dude that movie's awesome and yeah. then I grab it off the shelf right it's one of those I feel like unfortunately um, but it is very good and I, I want to say one last thing about because uh, I was gonna when I was gonna talk about Bloomington Indiana I was gonna say this real quick I forgot. Um, I, I grew up in the church, as I've mentioned many times. Um, mm-hmm. I've been in the Midwest for 30, at least 35 or 36 of the 37 years I've been on this earth. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what it's like to live here. One thing that I never grew up seeing is a kid look at his dad and go, shut the fuck up. Right. Because this dude, there's points where Ziggy has a mouth on him. And they yeah. don't care. Right. Now, I knew people whose parents didn't mind that they cuss, but he'll cuss at them. Yes. And, dude, those kids got beat when I was growing up. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was a point where he told his, I think his mom or dad or both probably to shut the fuck up or whatever. Right. And I winced because I was like, oh, dude, he's about to get it. And they don't yeah. do shit. It's right. that very kind of progressive, familial yeah. uh, type of upbringing stuff. Uh, and he is a it, I just find also those things very interesting about the film. Um, but anyways, I don't want to believe I don't want to like uh, take too long on this as we probably already have. The point is this. When you finish saving the world um, again, if you're in Indianapolis, it's going to be coming out here soon to living room theaters. Uh, I'm sure it will get a little bit of a, albeit limited, probably still mm-hmm. it'll probably get a wider release later at some point, at the very least on streaming. Keep an eye out for when you finish saving the world if you get a chance to see it let us know what you think medium cool pod on facebook instagram and twitter you can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com joe as always thanks a lot buddy thank you As I said at the top of the show, we're going to be covering the 2022 kind of Oscar contenders, so to speak, if I had to predict any. Uh, I'm sure Tar is going to be up for several awards, and as, including The Whale also. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if The Whale was up for Best Picture, though I think the real one that's going to kind of run away with is Brendan Fraser's performance. Uh, in the film so uh, we'll see how that all plays out Uh, but we're going to be talking about tar and the whale next week that's joe and i and uh, also i will be uh, getting all my 2022 cramming in before we do our top 10 of 2022 the following week that will be joe and matt sosi and i as we have the last what is it two years Um, so this will be our third annual top 10 movies list Uh, always fun to sit and talk with them i'm i always try to find new ways for us to cut down the time because i know that those episodes go really long i'm pretty sure the first one went like six hours the second one went like three so we cut it in half um but if we can get it down to below two hours that's really what i would love to do we'll see how that works out here we're still still working out the kinks after all this time um but all that said uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh go check out white noise i'd be really curious to see what you think i found it endlessly amusing as i said uh i 
was entertained, but it is a bit of a mess. Um, but it never necessarily bothered me all that much just because I was like laughing. Um, and then uh, when you uh, when you finish saving the world was actually surprisingly good. Uh, make sure you check that out. It will be in some theaters uh, this Friday. So, hey, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Good night. Good luck and take it easy. <laughs>